bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive, courtesy of your grace and mercy. Help us never be familiar with your mercy towards us each and every day. It's your gentleness that makes us great. We thank you, Father, for using us for your plan, for letting us learn your word like this, for letting us in on your plan, so to speak, and even let, letting us have a part in it that can have divine repercussions. And Father, most of all, we're grateful for your Son who made all this possible for us by grace through faith in him. We're not only saved, but we're promoted, we're adopted. We have power that only comes from you. We ask, Father, that your spirit right now guide us and teach us, help us understand these supernatural spiritual truths so that we can bring more glory to you, both in our souls and in the lives we live. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 32. So Sunday began with a wonderful encouragement about our salvation and our assurance from God uh, for those of us who are in Christ. And hopefully by now uh, you read the blog which came out on Saturday. And uh, it was just awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a really good, I don't want to say summary, but obviously you can only write so much in a blog, but it, it encapsulated so many principles about our salvation and about our assurance that we can have from the Spirit's activity in our lives, really, is what came out of that for me. Um, it was so you know good in my opinion that I asked Pastor if we could put a link to it on the Christ Saves Ministries website kind of as a regular uh, doctrinal teaching there. And there were so many scriptures. Um, again, if you want or need that encouragement, I mean, you should do it anyway, but there were a lot of scriptures. So, you know, what a great little personal Bible study to just take out your Bible and go to them one at a time. And as Pastor said, let scripture wash over you and cleanse you with the assurance that he wants you to possess. So, for example, uh, one verse that jumped out to me I want to share with you tonight is in Romans 8.14. So turn to Romans 8.14. And again, the blog to me had a lot to do with the Spirit's activity in our lives and in our hearts, um, that He doesn't just leave us alone or leave us wondering, but He's very active. Um, sometimes we don't listen. But if we're humble enough to listen for his call, for his guidance and direction, we're going to be encouraged. So notice in this verse the characteristics of the believer and how the Spirit's involved. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. But notice the Spirit's activity in our hearts as believers. Um, He's leading us in verse 14. Uh, he's given us a new spirit of adoption in verse 15. And his spirit, the spirit, speaks with our spirit that we're children of God. There's our assurance. It's an active thing, not just a bunch of facts on a page. So the very spirit of Christ is the one who assures us of his presence within and also that God is our dear Father. I mean, how is a man able to say the words, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? You know, John in the epistle says you, you can't say that unless that's from the Spirit of God. 
So this is another example in this passage. You're able to cry out, Abba, Father. Where does that come from? What gives you the ability, the wisdom, to cry out like that? It's the Spirit testifying to your spirit. So God has his way of letting each of us know individually that we belong to him. That's another wonderful thing about the Lord. Another amazing thing about the Lord is the uniqueness of all of us, the uniqueness, the one-of-a-kind reality of billions and billions and billions of people throughout the centuries. And yet, not one is a duplicate, and that the Spirit speaks to each person individually because He knows how to reach you, if you're listening. But He knows how to reach me, He knows how to reach you, by grace, and that's a form of reassurance that we're His. So the blog is a reminder of, also, of the one giant, uh, gigantic thing to always be grateful for every day, and that is very simply the gift of eternal life. That should motivate us every day. On Sunday, we started with a powerful passage from the Apostle Peter. Um, just some wonderful things. Go again to 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. We're going to review some of this chapter, and then towards the end of the message, we'll see the end of the book of Peter, the first Peter. So 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, notice believers who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's Abba Father again, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was kind of the main theme from the blog on the board in terms of being assured of our salvation, that we're born again to a living hope in 1 Peter 1.3. By grace, through faith, believers enjoy an abiding knowledge of their eternal life being a reality. That being a child of God means absolute salvation and guaranteed sanctification. Psalm 43.5, 146.5, Romans 15.4 and 13, and 2 Thessalonians 2.16-17. So we'll see these verses again throughout the message. But that's our main point of encouragement from Sunday even. Uh, look again at verse 3, 1 Peter 1.3. Let's read a little more. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. How much more assured can you be when you read a passage like that? Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Where does this mindset come from? It comes from the Spirit of God within. Obtaining, in verse 9, as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there again we see deliverance directly connected to faith. Hopefully that sounds familiar. Skip to verse 13. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So there's a picture of sanctification alive and active in the lives of those who believe. And then uh, just skip to verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So talk about our living hope in verse 3. This is another version of that same idea. Again, look at verse 23. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God is alive and powerful. When's the last time in your own soul? When's the last time in your own soul you thought about the word of God as living? Living and breathing. That's what the Bible says it is. And uh, if, you, if we don't think of the word that way, we are totally missing the boat. We're missing the supernatural life that God wants us to lead and to be flexible, to listen to his calling, both through his word and his spirit, as we're going to see. Again, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So again, the point on the board, we're born again to a living hope, not some kind of a dead hope. I know it doesn't make sense, but we're not born again to live a dead life or a... Um, a uh, inactive life like this is a, a live manifestation of God within us as is the word so we're born again to a living hope by grace through faith believers enjoy an abiding knowledge of their eternal life being a reality that being a child of God means absolute salvation and guaranteed sanctification so we talked about on Sunday how our God is a loving God. He's a, a God of reassurance, loving reassurance, not one of doubts, and he's not one to play games with our hearts. He's a good, good father. So he's a God of loving reassurance. So anything that is not that, you know, we have to question and double, do a double take, you know, when we start having doubts in our souls. As the Spirit said several times on Sunday, our God is not a God of confusion. So we must remember, doubts come from Satan and this world and the sin nature within us. And we must call them out as soon as we get them. This theme has been coming up over and over and over for weeks now. We must call doubts out as soon as we get them, not giving in to the temptation of the flesh. So on the board, when doubts creep in, when you get them, call them out as evil and go forward with God and his living word. Don't delay, in other words. When you get doubts, and you will at times, call them out as evil, recognize what they are, recognize where they're from, and go forward with God and his living word. Living, breathing word. Breathe it in. However you need to breathe it in that day, that hour, that moment. Breathe in the word and exhale the word, you know, in your life. Put the doubts behind you immediately. So we see that, for example, in Psalm 43.5, we borrowed from the last principle, and uh, Ephesians 2.14a, and Hebrews 4.12. But it really is as simple as that on the board. 
It's a perfect illustration in Psalm 43.5. If you want to go there again, please. Psalm 43.5. But it really is as simple as that on the board. When doubts creep in, call them out as evil and go forward with God and his living word. In other words, as the Spirit has said in different, uh, at different times over the last months, don't entertain the doubts. Don't play with them. Don't give them time in your soul. Psalm 43, 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? So there's a man recognizing his lack of faith within. He's calling it out. He's, he's not just you know, bypassing it and going with it and letting it erode his soul. He's saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are you in despair, my soul? Why are you disturbed right now? So he's calling that out and, and, and you know, waking up, so to speak. Where's this coming from? It's not a good thing. Where's this despair coming from? It's not from God. And then look at how the verse finishes. Hope in God. In other words, turn the tables. Resist the devil and turn to God. As our point on the board says, go forward with God. Why are you despairing, soul? Hope in God. Wake up from that stupid thinking that you're getting into, whether it's self-pity or whatever, you know, bitterness might be creeping in your soul, who knows. When you recognize it, call it out and follow God. So, where were we? <laughs> Psalm 43.5. Let's read it one more time. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, sometimes our countenance betrays us, right? People can tell when you're having a bad day. And that, that the countenance is a reflection of your soul being disturbed in the beginning of the verse. So who's the help of your countenance? Who's the help of your soul? Place your hope in God. It's that simple. There you see also the immediate effect of a change of perspective. We can do it on a dime, as pastors always said over the years. That's the beauty of it. We don't have to let the doubts ent you know, entertain, float around in our minds and you know, get all me oh my over it. We can just repent and turn back and hope in God immediately. So again, on the board, when doubts creep in, when you get them, call them out as evil and go forward with God and his living word. The fact is he alone is our source of peace and hope. Nothing else is going to give you any answers and nothing else is going to diminish your doubts. He alone is our source of peace and hope. So we must turn away from doubts, repent immediately, guarding our hearts, and turn to him alone as the truth. On the board, Ephesians 2.14a, for he himself is our peace. You want peace? Turn to Jesus. You're in the middle of doubts, you're in the middle of bitterness or self-pity or whatever you're entertaining. You want peace again? Turn to Jesus. Like, turn around. Look to Jesus, talk to Jesus, whatever you got to do. Who is the word, by the way? The living word. On the board, Hebrews 4.12 in the English Standard Version. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, only something living and active can discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, like every moment, like God does. That's the Word of God. And, of course, the Spirit uses the Word of God. We'll get to more of that. But again, notice the Word of God is living and active. Go to Psalm 146, verse 5. Psalm 146, 5. <clears throat> 
God is our hope. He's our ever, ever present help in time of need. Remember that verse? Ever present help in time of need. On a dime, we can turn to him and hope in him again, no matter where we find ourselves in a given day. Psalm 146, 146.5. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God. How blessed is that person whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? You want to be at peace? That's it. Place your hope in him alone. When doubting, quickly repent and turn back to the God of hope. Again, go to Romans 15.4. We saw this on Sunday. Romans 15.4. We're just padding our principle that we're born again to a living hope. Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Why is it so encouraging? Why are the scriptures so encouraging? Maybe because they're alive and powerful. Maybe because they're living and active. And they literally affect your soul in a supernatural way. That's why it says, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Again, the point is we have a living hope as believers. Look at Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope. In, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There again, our assurance comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, the God of hope. And look at God's plan. I mean, look at, look at that verse. God empowers us to abound in hope. He has to empower us. He has to enable us. But to those who surrender to him in faith like that, he empowers them to be abounding in hope. And that's his desire for his children. So at this point, you know, the Spirit wants to kind of make a point about this life that we live as believers. And that it's a dynamic life we live, courtesy of the Spirit of the living God. So please concentrate right now. Um, for some reason, he wants to emphasize this right now. Let's remember that the spiritual life we've been granted by grace is not based on knowledge alone. So there's always a balance, right? There's always a proper balance. Our spiritual life, which is designed to be dynamic and changing each and every day, is not based on knowledge alone. So we've had a recent emphasis from the Spirit about gaining the right data, right? For our conscience. The Word of God needs you know, to fill our mind so that our conscience has something to work with. Very vital. But our spiritual life is not academic in nature. Don't fall for that trap either and swing all the way to the other side and fall in love with knowledge and just gathering facts. I've met way too many people like that that say they understand God and all they have is a bunch of facts with no faith. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But we must gain the right data, but our spiritual life is not academic in nature. It's of the heart. It's, a, it's alive. It's born again to a living hope. The knowledge God provides us is to equip us, and the Spirit uses it to open our eyes spiritually. It's, it's a living and active. It's a life that is supernatural that God has us to live each and every day. And we make a grave mistake if we don't think of it that way. That's when we get stale. That's when you get bored. That's when you, you, know, you say, I already heard this before or something. No, if you're hearing it again, for some reason the Spirit's telling you to listen and He wants to make it real for you in your actual life, in your actual spirit, in, in, in your hope. So your hope abounds much more than it is now maybe. So the knowledge God provides us is to equip us and the Spirit uses it to open our eyes and teach us supernatural things.
all of which he has accomplished for us by grace already. So, for example, go to John 5, 39, so we can see a trap that we must never fall into. This is to establish, establish this idea in our souls. We're going to see what Jesus said to the knowledgeable Pharisees. They were extremely knowledgeable, but it was academic in nature to them. John 5, 39. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, these scriptures, right? In context, it is these that testify about me. And you, Pharisees, are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. You're unwilling to see the truth about these scriptures that you compile in your soul as a bunch of facts. You're unwilling to see they're about me. You're unwilling to turn to me so that you can have eternal life. They were resisting the power of the Holy Spirit pulling them to Jesus Christ through the word, through the scriptures. They were resisting. They wanted the scriptures in their own power. Maybe to even take credit for their own knowledge that they were compiling. And that's why we see Matthew 12, 31 on the board. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. If you reject the Spirit, what the Spirit's telling you about me, Jesus said, that can't be forgiven. You're saying no to me, the one who's going to pay for all your sins. The Spirit is pulling people through the Scriptures, through the Word, to Jesus Christ. It's a living and active relationship. It's how it's designed to be. For believers, we have accepted the Spirit's conviction, and He continues to convict us, and He also comforts us. And may we never forget those who worship Him, Jesus said, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. On the board, John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So the point the Spirit's making is we believers have a dynamic spiritual life. Don't ever get complacent with the Word of God. or, or That's why we should never be bored. We should be like, what's he going to say tonight? Not the person behind the pulpit, the Spirit. What's he going to say tonight? What's he going to give me tonight? What's he trying to give me tonight? I don't want to miss it. And that humble attitude is going to be rewarded. And it, it's exciting every day because it's changing every day it's something new you know not in terms of like a new revelation it's new in terms of a personal food for you that day that you need again we believers live a dynamic spiritual life which means it's always moving and changing because it's constantly guided by the spirit who uses the word of god in our souls to do so constantly guided by the spirit May we never call ourselves theologians without the faith to believe and live out God's word. And um, the reason I say that is I recently met two quote-unquote theologians, both men in probably in their 30s, and they claim to know the Bible. One actually called himself a theologian. <laughs> How often do you introduce yourself that way? I'm a theologian. That's what he said. I'm like, oh, cool. All right, great. Do you study the Bible? Yeah, yeah, study the Bible, yep. About three sentences later, I found out he did not believe in Jesus Christ as the way to salvation. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Right? In my head, anyway. And, uh, you know, you do your best to plant a seed, but talk about a fruitless endeavor. You're, you're gathering knowledge, and you're claiming to be a theologian without having faith in what's stated. Like it's a scientific exercise, it's not real. It's not, there's not a real God to answer to, there's not a relationship to be had, there's not a savior to need. Crazy, right? Of course you agree I'm preaching to the choir, but two men who acted like and spoke with a confidence about God or the Bible 
and did not believe in Jesus Christ as the way to be saved. So what you have there is knowledge without listening to the Spirit, right? Without humility. You have the Word without the Spirit, resisting the Spirit like the Pharisees did. So on the board, knowledge must be mixed with faith to have any divine power. This was a major theme in our recent mini-series about gratitude for our healer and deliverer. Knowledge must be mixed with faith to have any divine power. And again, if you're lacking faith, ask for more faith. The giver will give it to you. Hebrews 4.2, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. First on the board, Hebrews 4.2. In the New King James Version, I like how it says it here. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So all these people get the gospel, all these people hear the gospel. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them, two groups of people here, us and them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. They could memorize the whole Bible like Satan. It did not profit them at all, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Again, on the board, knowledge must be mixed with faith to have any divine power. Turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2.13, see another explanation of this. I just love that word, mixed with faith. I just like that translation because... It implies, you know, that you, there's a, a mixing to be done. There's an activity to be done. You know, I was thinking of if you're, if you're a baker maybe and you're making a recipe, you're making a cake or something, and in a bowl you put all these wonderful ingredients, flour, spices, seasonings, whatever, right? I have no idea. Sugar, whatever. Put it all in the bowl, right? If you don't add, add water, what do you got? You've got a bunch of powder. <laughs> you do, right? But the water miraculously turns all these wonderful ingredients and blends them together so perfectly so that there's something real and substantive and delicious and you can work with it. If you don't mix knowledge with faith, it's like a bowl of powder. Can't eat that. Not good for you. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. There's an implication there. It does not perform work in you who do not believe. Believing, faith, is vital. It's like the word and the spirit to have divine power. The word or for the word to work in our lives, the Spirit must give us that faith to believe. So again, on the board, born again to a living hope, by grace, through faith, believers enjoy an abiding knowledge of their eternal life being a reality. We also got that same idea from that verse we just read in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It's a reality to you who believe, who accepted it as the word of God, and you get to enjoy that reality. That being a child of God means absolute salvation and guaranteed sanctification. Let's look at one more verse again to pad this. Uh, you're already in Thessalonians, so look at 2 Thessalonians 2.16. 2 Thessalonians 2.16. I mean, how good is God? To those who want to know Him, <laughs> how good is God? He's constantly reassuring us and like giving us a boost, so to speak, through all these promises in the Word, through all these reassurances. Second Thessalonians 2.16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Again, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, 
who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. That's who he is. That's what he wants as a good father. That's what he does. But sin wants to deceive us away from God's comfort and strength to help us not see these passages, to not read our Bibles and, and receive this assurance. Sin does not want you to see and enjoy the living hope of Christ in you. It doesn't want you to look at it supernaturally even as alive and active and dynamic and that the Spirit is always at work in you every moment of every day even, trying to show you something. So there's the relationship that's constantly changing. Sin wants us to entertain doubts. And as came out on Sunday, the only thing that crushes sin's ability to control us is persistently learning and believing the Word of God by the power of the Spirit. That's the only thing that crushes sin's dominance over us that steps on the head of the snake. The word of God being eagerly received, eaten, right? Swallowed. I was thinking about a truth last week on total depravity we talked about, right? And how what came to my mind was it took me a while to swallow that whole. I received part of it, but I didn't want to receive all of it for a while. To swallow the truth whole is what like nourishes us, sets us free, gives us power. And Satan uh, and sin, their ability is minuscule when we do that. So God, again, basically takes care of the humble is what we're talking about. As came out on Sunday, humility remains open to the truth. Humility remains open to the truth. Our job is to resist closing the shades on the light of truth. Ephesians 6.13, James 4.7, 1 Peter 5.9. But this title on the board, in my mind, in my soul, is very important. Humility remains open to truth. The openness of the soul is a concept that's hard to explain and has been on my heart for a while. Like, what does that mean to be open in your soul? And are we sometimes closed when we think we're open or we're acting open towards God? To not block the Spirit, quote-unquote, to not block the Spirit's influence upon us, to remain open to His convictions is vital to our daily lives of walking by faith. Always being open to His shedding light on a situation. Because, let's face it, we can walk around a lot of the day and not be open, right? Be in our own world, not wanting to listen right now for whatever reason, usually some kind of a selfish reason. But he may direct you to do something or say something that you never even thought of. Has that ever happened to you? Like, when you're open, because when you're not open, this won't happen. <laughs> but in the times that you are open, has he ever given you something to do or to say or to, or to act upon that you totally was out of, out of left field and it wasn't in your plans whatsoever. But how did you receive that thing? How did you receive that message to reach out to a certain person out of the blue or to, or to do the right thing in a situation that you didn't even consider? How did you receive that instruction? You received it because you were humble. You were open to the Spirit leading you. So the more we do that, the more we live this supernatural life, the more of the living hope is present in us and enjoyed, like it's meant to be enjoyed. This is like an awesome privilege, you know, to live our lives for Christ, but it's, it's an awesome um, experience, too. It's supposed to be. Even in, our, even in our routines, it shouldn't be routine. Even in going to work every day, the spiritual life should not be routine. It should be like, Again, dynamic. It's always changing. You should always be looking for what God wants you to do next. So just uh, be careful that you're not stuck in a box that you put yourself in. And I hope you think about that and ponder, ponder it at home, what it means to be open to truth or open to the Spirit. Go to Ephesians 6.10. 
Ephesians 6.10. We were here on Sunday. Again, humility remains open to the truth. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In other words, rely on Him heavily. Lean on Him fully with all your weight. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me tell you something. Your spiritual life better be dynamic or you're not going to withstand this battle from the spiritual forces that are always working against us in some way. And may we never forget verse 12, everybody. Stop looking at people. Look at the spirit behind the people, what might be influencing them into negativity. Verse 12 again, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. It's a very real evil power in this world against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. There you see it again. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. There's that word able again. Having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will not be, or you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, evil one. There's that word able again, tongue twister. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What does it take? Faith mixed with the word. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. See, there's, there's a dynamic thing right there, isn't it? Pray at all times in the Spirit. <laughs> Why? Because you're alive and the Spirit's alive and the Word's alive. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Again, on the board, humility remains open to truth. Our job is to resist closing the shades on the light of truth. So we know we ought to pray at all times. We ought to be grateful for all things. But let's go to a very vital component in this equation. Again, go to James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. How dominant is that occurrence in our lives? We can even at times, if we don't examine ourselves, trick ourselves into thinking our motivation is fine. And I was talking to Michelle after Sunday's message and she brought up how sometimes we pray for the deliverance of others, but sometimes our motivation is for our own benefit. Just think about that, to ease our own pain. And we have to ask ourselves, is that good motivation? Is that wrong motivation? Something to think about. But step back for a minute and think about how good it is that we're even thinking about that that we even are examining ourselves that way. How good is that? You know, see it all as truth, right? I just want to see the truth, right? Uh, the light. Even if, it, even if it hurts me, I want to know the truth. Well, examining your own motivation and seeing why you're even praying for someone else's deliverance, 
is an example of, show me how I'm thinking, Lord. You're, you're humble before God. So it's something to consider. Um, you ask, James 4, 3, you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This pattern should sound familiar. It's the pattern of God's righteousness. Verse 7 again, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, James here turns back to the practical side of things, like living real life. And he's encouraging us to reject the pattern of unrighteousness, which is to resist God and submit to the sin or the devil, right? James is waking us up here. He's like slapping us across the face. Wake up. Draw near to God in verse 8, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Either you believe that or you don't. But that's a promise from our good Father. And then one more passage on this point on the board. Go to uh, 1 Peter 5, 6. 1 Peter 5, 6. We see the same ideas here, the same pattern of submitting to God and resisting the devil and resisting sin. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Talk about reassurance. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we continue to read the word of God like this, in context, holding on to humility the whole way through, God graciously makes the truth clear and inescapable for us, which is what any humble person, all, all they really want on the board. The truth is inescapable. While an arrogant person kicks against the net, further entangling themselves in their own misery, a humble person embraces inescapable truths as part of their living hope, even if it's ugly. Just seeing the inescapable truths of God as they stand without trying to change it to your liking. Let that set you free, including your failures that pop up because that's part of your living hope, knowing that God doesn't change, knowing that His truth is so stable and so true and so noble and so right, and so virtuous. The Spirit keeps bringing things full circle for us. And we're back to humility. Humility always begins with a simple admission, as came up on Sunday again. I'm not capable. I need God's help. I need my Savior. If that's our attitude every day, we'll be in a good place. So when we stop that, that we get in trouble. We get arrogant. Again, James 4.10. 
Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Make no mistake about it. That's just how life works. And if by faith, if we mix the Word with faith, we're going to bring God tremendous glory. We're going to allow Him to exalt us and lift us up and promote us at the right time, the right way, on stable footing too, a promotion that doesn't just go away because, you know, the wind blows or somebody comes against you. God will give you something real to stand on. But you know what? It takes time. It takes humbling yourself before God over a period of time. What did Peter say in verse 5, 6? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We're back to simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. It's so simple. I'm so grateful to God for making it so clear from this pulpit what God wants from us. It is so simple. We must stop complicating things and we must abide more and more in things like gratitude and love. Live it out by faith. Following simple God-given patterns such as repentance and faith and then pleasing God becomes so simple because we just obey that simple pattern with the faith of a child, which even a child can do. Just do it by faith. Enjoying the assurance of our salvation becomes so simple too because we've chosen to humbly learn and obey the word, the mind of Christ. And therefore we have peace. He himself is our peace. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us full circle as you do, as only you can do when you orchestrate your word through your spirit so graciously for us. We ask, Father, that you help us to account these things to our own souls, help us examine ourselves before you in humility, and help us be open, be open to your guidance and direction through your truth and your spirit. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.